Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in with you, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink, offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to encourage you to, uh, to keep that passage open because we're going to be going through Philippians 2 today. We're in the book of Philippians this month and uh, we're going to talk about some hard stuff today. It's going to be rubber hit the road stuff, but that's good. It's encouraging, encouraging stuff. But before we get into that, let's talk about some other hard stuff. I've got a question for you. I'm going to give you a minute to talk to the people around you about it, and it's this question. What is the grottiest job you've been paid to do? I feel like I might be dishonouring mums a little bit here, but but just let's, let's go with this for a minute. Have a chat to the people around you. I want to hear some stories. What's the grottiest job you've been paid to do? All right, I can hear uh, I can hear plenty of chatter. So there's obviously there's obviously some good stories. Who wants to uh, who wants to share one of the? Oh, here we go, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Just hang on. There's there's some troublemakers over in this corner. They're still talking about grotty jobs. 
<laughs> so you you're a you're a, a chef, apprentice chef in a restaurant. You came back to three weeks worth of rotten who knows, rotten seafood. <laughs> wow, that's rugged. That's who else is make. <laughs> Wow, that's that's intense, isn't it, Peter? I've got to say, I don't know if it tops the uh, the sewerage plant story at eight o'clock, but intense stuff. We'll just we'll just we'll just leave it behind for now. Uh, wow! As we get into things, though, because we're going to, we're going to talk about some hard stuff today. I wondered how good you guys' memory is from last week. So I've got a bit of revision. Okay, so we're going to play a bit of a game of fill in the words. So these are the three things we talked about. Paul talked about. He said, "I am." Well done. You can have morning tea. Okay. All right. You've already got it. That's good. You see? See? Instant. You see? Instant reward. Okay. Uh, next one. What else did he say? He said, I'm... Boom! You can have morning tea as well, which is good because he brought it. Um, I'm living for you. And it was Jen. Good on you, Jen. Love your work. Uh, and the last one that he said is something and good news. Does anyone remember? It's another S word, but similar. Struggles. Struggles. Well done. Struggles are good news. Okay, struggling is the natural preset for the Christian life. That's the natural state we're in all the time. So if we're like, why is everything so tough? Well, that's what he provides us with. Now, as we jump into into Philippians chapter 2 today, I need to tell you that um, I think this verse pretty much, this sorry, this chapter pretty much saved me this week. Uh, I've, I've, had a, I've had a pretty tough couple of weeks and Friday was even tougher. And, uh, and as I came to this passage thinking, man, I got nothing, God just delivered over and over and over again. So none of the things that we're talking about today are hypotheticals. They're not, they're not theories uh, or kind of interesting ideas that we can kick around. They're real things. And this is how Paul begins... Philippians chapter 2, this is what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So we're going to talk about three things as we look through this passage today. The first one is, how low will you go for the sake of others? How much will you lower yourself? How much less will you be for other people? Secondly, Paul talks to us about being joyful in being less for others, in completely giving ourselves up for others. And then he talks to us and encourages us to honour people who have done that. So let's think about this first thing first. So Paul's saying, this is, uh, this is uh, verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, the first thing we need to say about this passage is that it cuts completely across everything that we read in newspapers, books, here on the internet, movies, TV, like this is completely countercultural. It runs against everything that we've been taught. So what we're about to hear is going to be very challenging for us. It's probably going to hurt your brain a bit, but that's good for you. Paul goes on in verse 4, he says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then in verse 5 he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know, do you guys remember those bands that used to be a few years ago? What did they say? What would Jesus do? And I always used to think, I don't know what Jesus would do. I've got no idea what Jesus is. Jesus is God. He's got the wisdom of God. Like, you know, I'm just meandering around, bumping into things. Who knows what I'm doing? I don't know what he'd do. And that's where Paul begins with us. He says, he helps us to understand it. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Advantage. Now, I think most of us, whatever kind of situation we find ourselves in, often say to ourselves, you know, just quietly, what could I get out of this? You know, sometimes maybe in an educational sense, we're thinking we want to improve ourselves. But I think probably in pretty much every situation, we think, yeah, how could this be good for me? Even when we're helping someone or really being generous, there's a part of our hearts that goes, man, I'm going to look good, even if I just look good to God. But that's not Jesus' attitude. Verse 7 says, rather Jesus made himself nothing. Let me say that again. Made himself nothing. Goes on to tell us, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Interesting that he says servant first before he says he became a human being, which is, you know, not so illustrious most days, is it? And then he goes deeper. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you see Jeff Bezos, I don't know, in case you don't know who Jeff Bezos is, he's the CEO of Amazon. Can you imagine Jeff Bezos coming to your house at 6 o'clock on a Friday night 
to give you your package because you put the wrong address on the internet. Is he going to do that? No, he's not going to do that. Okay, similarly, Elon Musk. You're on Bell's line of road, halfway between Bell and who knows where. Your battery's gone flat. Is Elon Musk going to turn up in the middle of a storm to charge your battery? He's not going to do that, is he? No, he manifestly will not do that. In the same way that Bill Gates will not come to your house and install new drivers so your printer will work. Whose printer doesn't work? He won't do that. And he won't do that because worldwide creators won't fix your stupidity. They have helplines that are not actually that helpful to fix that. But the creators themselves will not do that. That is not their place. They are much more important than that. But Paul says that is exactly what Jesus did. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself to the point of obeying people who are frankly awful. I mean, picture this for a minute. Jesus in the palace on Good Friday, he's being beaten by a soldier. Do we honestly think that Jesus didn't know this soldier? Jesus could easily have said to him, I know you because I made you. I know you were, where you were born. I know the things you did on the quiet as a child. I know when you stopped wetting your bed. I know when you cry at night. I know you because I made you. And yet, Paul tells us that in that, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gives him the name above every, other, every name, and that at Jesus' name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, why is Paul telling us this? He's telling us this because this is the example for the way that we treat each other at church. This is what self-sacrificial love looks like in God's family. Gentleness, patience, forgiveness, compassion. So let me ask you these questions. What's the worst person you'd willingly obey for the sake of others? The most controlling person, the most pedantic and irritating person. It's a hard question to think about, isn't it? Let me push you deeper. How many hurts will you let your church family commit against you? I say against you because I'll tell you what happens usually in churches. Something a bit discouraging happens or you get cranky over a small space of time and you think, right, I'm done. And you just leave and find somewhere else that is comfortable where you don't have to struggle or suffer. But actually Paul's calling us to the opposite of that. Let me push you deeper. How many tears will you shed for this church? How many tears? How many have you shed already? How many more will you shed because you love these people self-sacrificially? 
How much sleep will you sacrifice for us? Now, it could be, and maybe I'm, I'm going to get a little carried away here, it could be that the total sum of everything that you go through in relationships at church by the end of your life actually adds up to the cross. And that that's exactly what Paul is encouraging us that love looks like with our church family. That's how deep it goes. And this passage has been such a refreshing blessing to me this week. It has taught me that I am worthy to suffer for you guys and you guys are worthy to suffer for me. Allowing ourselves to be hurt and discouraged and then forgive others is following Jesus' example and glorifying God. That's what Philippians 2 teaches us. So if you are struggling with someone at church at the moment, congratulations, you are blessed. It's your blessing to forgive them and restore them. Similarly, you're going to screw up. Okay, You're going to hurt someone. If, you, if you're here at church and thinking, oh man, this church is going to be different, everyone's nice, <laughs> wake up. <laughs> We're all boneheads just like you. We're going to hurt you. We're going to misunderstand you. We're going to say something stupid. We'll be insensitive or you'll be oversensitive, something's going to happen. And on that day, we will need to repent. And see, here's the thing. Repenting of hurting and discouraging others and accepting their forgiveness is also following Jesus and glorifying God. We accept Jesus' forgiveness. He asks us to accept forgiveness from one another. Right, easy. Got the, we got the hard bit done, right? Wait, there's more. Be joyful about that. That's why Paul says in verse 2, make my joy complete. Make it complete. He then butters them up. Therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence but also much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when I read this verse, I fear and tremble about what it means. But Paul helps us. The next verse, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's working in us. He's changing us. Even as we're bouncing off each other and frustrating each other and causing who knows what mayhem. And then he hits us with the sucker punch. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, I have to tell you, I was about 24 when I first read this verse and uh, I couldn't believe that God's word could be so direct is the word I think I'm looking for. And it hit me in the guts. I felt like I'd been punched. And I felt like I'd been punched because I was a, a whinger and a sook. And uh, I guess I still am to some extent. And I remember hanging out with some Christians from another church, a different part of Sydney, and these people were so positive. And I was like, man, these guys are not real. And now I realise, actually, they were joyful and I was immature. Now I realise this. But in Australia, we love to complain about stuff, don't we? We love to have a sook. Okay, we love to say things like this. I hate the government. Or, I hate my job and my boss, which is slightly problematic for me. <laughs> Blokes, we love to say, the missus is so annoying. Thankfully, I don't think Liz is here at the moment, so maybe I'm not in trouble. 
And then usually after we've had a complaint about that sort of stuff, we love to say something like, I deserve better. You don't. That's called entitlement. All right? But actually, this is what Paul says. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So, there's an outcome he's looking for here. So, you may become blameless and pure. Remember we talked about this last week. One of Paul's prayers in chapter 1, that we would be blameless and pure on the last day. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This is the world we live in. Then, he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You know, I was talking to somebody um, after 8 o'clock today who was telling me they're having conversations with lots of their friends about the nature of marriage and relationships. And their friends are listening to them talk about, about following Jesus in their marriage and clinging on to their spouse tightly. And their friends are going, what? Are you crazy? But that's the thing. God's word is so powerful. Paul goes on, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So too, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, remember what I talked about last week about struggles being a good thing. So, Paul says to us, joyfulness, thankfulness, compassion, gentleness and love, all of these things as we live in this way instead of whining and sooking about everything and arguing, these things show others that Jesus' love is real. They're so bright that people are struck by them, even if they disagree. But there's another part to it as well, and that is it's encouraging for your leaders. And we've got a number of leaders here. When we're seeing people go really well, it lifts us up and encourages us. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I wasn't wasting my time. Good things have happened. Isn't it amazing what God's doing? That's why we want to be joyful in struggling together. Now, of course, in the areas of ministry that we think about in our church, we're talking about the serving area, aren't we? We're talking about serving together. And we serve together, as I've said to you before, for the common good. Not because it feels good or because I have a passion for that area of ministry, but because the thing we're doing is good for all the people here. And serving is a privilege. It's a joy. We also serve in teams because, again, we can encourage each other, we can lift one another up, we can hold each other accountable, that terrible A word. It's good for us. We can sin against each other and forgive each other and it's a good thing. God's building his church. Now, amongst all this, towards the end of the chapter, Paul talks about two people uh, who have done these things and who we should honour. Uh, the first of them is a guy called Timothy. Uh, he's a very, you might even say he was kind of Paul's apprentice. There's two letters in the end of the New Testament you could read that Paul writes to Timothy. And he says about Timothy in verse 20 that Timothy showed a genuine concern for the welfare of the church in Philippi. He's proved himself. We love people like that, don't we? We love, we have people like that in our midst. So he sends him back. There's another guy in here called Epaphroditus. Okay, here's my challenge for the week. Uh, parents or grandparents, name a child Epaphroditus. There you go. Can you imagine the poor kid in kindergarten 
trying to spell their... Has anyone seen this? Kindergarten kids trying to spell their name? I've, yes, my heart goes out to Greek kids. Um, this is the issue. But let's see, let's see what he says about him. Uh, verse 26, For he longs for all of you and was distressed because he heard you were ill. And in verse 27 it says, He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, so he's this close to death for the sake of his church. Isn't that encouraging news? Isn't that great news? And this is the, this is the thing that Paul is encouraging us to do. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I pushed reasonably hard today. We've talked about some tough stuff. My guess is as you go away, you're going to need to think about doing one of two things, possibly both. I probably need to do both. One of them is that there'll be somebody here at church who has hurt you. They've discouraged you. Jesus calls us to forgive them. You might need to have that conversation with them where you say, you know the other day when you said X, it made me feel this, but I love you so I want to forgive you. Could be, though, that you are actually the person who said that inappropriate thing or did that inappropriate thing or just you were having a bad day and mouthed off and you're a bit grumpy. Well, you get a chance to repent, to go to them and say, look, it's having a bad day, I did the wrong thing. It was clear to me that I upset you at the time. I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. And this is a joy. It's a pleasure. It's a struggle that Jesus gives to us and we are worthy of that struggle because we are in him. Now, none of this is easy. None of it we're going to do in our own strength. We're going to do it with God's help. So how about I pray for that now? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it stands completely at odds with the world we live in and... Um, they encourage us to do the opposite, but Lord, this stuff is good for us. It's a blessing. You tell us this stuff because we wouldn't do it on our own normally. And we want to be as Jesus was. We want to be bright stars. We want people outside our church to see how we love one another, our compassion, our thankfulness, our joy, our gentleness. And because of that, Lord, want to know about you. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do the hard yards with these things, that you would grow our church and our hearts and our relationships more and more in maturity in these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to continue to uh, look at the book of Philippians. So I want to encourage you, have a read ahead. There's some good stuff in there. And now it's time to do some singing.